Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I've got a pro on the podcast, longtime e-com guy. He's a fellow podcaster. We hang out at events all the time. And so really excited to have Mike Jackness on the show today. Uh, he is the host of Ecom Crew, which we'll hear about in a minute. I believe we met initially through our mutual friend, Steve Chu. Shout out to Steve Chu, Seller Summit, and also the podcast, How My Wife Quit Her Job. Fantastic podcast. And so uh, Mike is always just one of my favorite people to talk to in the industry, talking about trends, talking about the economy, talking about buying and selling businesses and, and all of that. And so we were talking recently and we're like, hey, we got to get together and do, a, and do a podcast. And so today we're diving into the topic of should I buy? Should I build? And then also tips for selling a brand because I think I think one of those concepts is probably going to fit you right now. And so uh, with that quick intro, Mike, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. We uh, got to see each other in person again. Like things are back. I don't know. I don't, don't want to say they're back to normal, but. At least right. we're seeing each other again, which is kind of cool. So it's yeah. it's feeling more normal, normal, yeah. right? The, you know, airplanes are pretty full. We got events happening. We were we were in Vegas not too long ago, a Prosper show recently, at Steve Chu's event, and so it's feeling good, feeling hopeful, feeling Definitely. excited about uh, in person events again. Absolutely, so, uh, yeah, man. So so give us the background for those that don't know, and I know a lot of people listening are like, hey, I know Mike Jackness. Everybody knows Mike <laughs> Jackness, uh, but give the give the quick rundown because you you've bought, built, sold brands. Also host the Ecom Crew podcast, but kind of give your your thirty second background. Yeah, the, the thirty second background gets harder and harder to do as you get older because like there's more to there's more to cover every year. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in so, terms of you know, my online entrepreneurial career, I, I quit my job back in two thousand four to get into affiliate and content marketing. Eventually, ended up in e commerce. Uh, kind of in an interesting roundabout way. We also were into investing in domain names for, and, and still are. And one of the domain names we had bought and invested in uh, with hopes of one day turning into an affiliate site, but turned into an e-commerce site eventually was treadmill.com. And that's actually how we got into e-commerce. It's a good domain. It was a good domain name. It was a fun project. We sold it in 2015 and have since then uh, either bought or started several e-commerce businesses and uh, sold several now. Um, and so, yeah, we were just kind of chatting about uh, the whole, like, should you buy? Should you start from scratch? All that stuff. And so I thought it'd be interesting. And um, our journey along the way, we you know, kind of document everything we do on on Ecom Crew. So it's the podcast is kind of a a day in the life of of Mike Jackness and his crazy brain, and also interviewing other interesting people about about e commerce and topics like this. Yeah, I love it. And so yeah, if you you listen to this and you're like, man, this is fascinating, interesting. I got to have more Mike in my life. Uh, check out Ecom Crew podcast. Find it Said on no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, in fact, yes, yeah, so we were at the, the we both spoke at Seller Summit recently uh, near Miami, and we were at a, a speaker dinner. And actually, talking to a really successful brand owner, he's a client of ours and and, and a friend of yours. And so we were chatting about why would you buy? Why don't you just build? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we we're actually talking to a, an attorney about this too. He was at the table. Yeah. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what? I, I've definitely got some thoughts here, but what are your thoughts? Like, buy versus build. What are the pros and cons, and what should you be thinking about in in that decision? Yeah, I mean, there's there's never a perfect answer to anything, right? But I'm kind of on this side of the fence of I'd I'd rather buy than start from scratch. Um, and we'll talk about the pros and cons of each, but the the high level reasoning being that. When you you buy a business, you're you're getting something pretty valuable for your money. Uh, unlike in a lot of other things, and you go waste your money in life. <laughs> um, if you buy a good business, you know someone else has already taken a chance, right? The things that you don't think about, um, maybe maybe you know you you have a bit of an ego and you think everything you're going to do is going to be successful. Uh, I have been in business for 18 years, and I know that that's far from the case. And so I have lots of battle scars of things that I've started, uh, kind of maybe didn't stick with them and it failed or stuck with it and put my heart and soul into it and it still failed, which is even more depressing when that happens, but it, it, it certainly happens. Um, you know, and so someone else has already taken that chance. And, you know, so you're, you're buying a successful business. You're also not buying all the other failures like out there. Right. And so I think that that's, that's a cool thing to look at. You're, you're also buying, you know, some multiple of revenue and in, in theory, uh, it should be one of the best investments you'll ever make. You, know, you invest your money in the stock market and you hope to, to, to maybe get 8% per year. 
Now, if you're buying an e-commerce business or a content site or some other business, in today's environment, you're probably paying something in the 3x or maybe 4x um, multiple of earnings. And, and so that should give you a return of 25 to 33% per year on your money, you know, as long as the business stays the same. Um, it, but the, the main thing that I like is, is looking for a particular opportunity in that I'm buying a really successful business, you know, one that uh, you know, really has good systems and people and products or whatever in place, but they haven't necessarily turbocharged the business with my skill set. You know the things that I think that I'm good at, and that's never to be taken as the old owner is an idiot and doesn't know what they're doing. Um, there are lots of things that people do out there that I am, am very impressed with, or like feel overwhelmed with, or, or can't figure out how the heck they did it. Uh, and in fact, one of the businesses that we most recently bought, I feel that way all the time. I can't believe like the systems and the processes and the way that the old owner. Uh, approached it and just did an amazing job. It's just, it, it blows me away every day when I, I look at the business. But there was a, a few aspects that they, you know, they just weren't good at, uh, just as much as I'm not good at something. And, and so the things I think that I'm good at, you know, we, we spent a lot of time sourcing from China over the years. And um, and so we we went and did that instead of sourcing from the US. We have a background in SEO, so we applied that. We have a, a team and processes in place to rapidly launch products. And so we, we did that. Um, and, and have been able to <clears throat> quickly see an uplift in the business because it was already a great business and we just kind of sprinkled that pixie dust on it. Yeah, I love that. And, and I want to unpack just a few things that you mentioned. You talked about how, you know, as entrepreneurs and, and most of us successful entrepreneurs, right, we've built at least one, maybe two really good businesses. We automatically think the next business I build mm -hmm. is going to be just as successful, right? Yeah. We get this bias because of our past success. And while it may be true that the next business you build is successful, it might not be because success isn't just determined by the skill set of the entrepreneur, although that's the biggest factor. It could be the market. It could be the brand. It could just be the right poor timing, like all kinds yeah. of factors go into the success of a business. And when you buy, you're buying a brand that already has traction, already has customers. That's an extremely valuable asset. It already has hopefully some systems and things in place. So just like you mentioned, you know, if you find a brand that's doing pretty well, but they've not applied your genius or your skill set, that's the ideal place to look, right? And the, you know, the brand you're talking about is one we've invested in and, and you're running right now. And, and yeah, there was just some amazing systems in place, but but they still could use some Mike Jackness and some of yeah. the other people that are on the board and stuff. And so it was an ideal fit uh, from that regard. You know, you just said something earlier that has taken me a long time to like really get a grip with um, in that, you know, timing and other other factors uh, yes. are just such an important thing. Uh, you know, I firmly believe in the whole concept of like you create your own luck. You know, you work hard and persevere and, and just stick with something over a long enough period of time. Uh, you'll, you'll eventually get lucky and, and have the things kind of click. But you know, looking back at the things that have been successful, um, you know, luck has been just a huge component of it. You know, when I was doing online poker affiliate marketing, well, the fact that I found that in like 2003 when that industry was just starting, and we were there like on day one, basically, or very early, uh, makes such a huge difference. And I, I see the same thing in Amazon. You know, being there in 2015, no wonder we were successful. You could throw up a box of poop and and be successful because it was like it was that easy. There was nobody else competing against you. Versus now, it's it's much more difficult. Uh, same thing with on uh, with the coloring brand that we made. I mean, we had a very successful coloring brand. It's pretty well documented publicly, but we just happened to find that niche at a time when it was on the on the uptick. And it made it seem like we were geniuses more than than we were, and it's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah, it's kind of like I want to use a quick surfing analogy. And surfing is something that I've been trying to learn for years. I'm pretty terrible at it, but it's still really <laughs> fun. Take a great surfer and put them out when the ocean's got no waves and nothing is happening, or just the surf is terrible. Nothing's going to happen, right? But you put a good surfer in the perfect conditions, and yeah. then magic happens. And so we we underestimate that, I think. And and I do, I totally agree with you. We you do create your own luck over time. But man, why not? Why not surf when the surfing is good? Mm -hmm. right? Why not maximize your timing and get all the conditions right, and then apply your skill set? And I think that's what you can do when you buy a business properly. So yeah, really, really good. What what are some of the uh, other pros and cons you had, you had mentioned? One of the, the, the cons that jumps into mind, just kind of going on the other side of the fence, is the pressure when you buy an existing business, right? Like when you're starting from scratch, even if you make a business that's the same size, 
Uh, it happens over time. And so you know, one of the things you just kind of lose track of as a, a human being uh, is just the, the curve in which you're learning and the time that that takes. And so if you build that business up over three or four years, you're kind of learning you know, one out of 1,500 days at a time or whatever that adds up to. And versus like being handed this business and having to to know everything that's happened up to that date uh, in order to, to just to keep the wheels on the bus, simply keep it from not falling apart. Uh, that was certainly uh, an eye opener to me. It was this was I think the largest business that I had ever purchased. It was you know well into millions of dollars and um, hundreds and hundreds of SKUs and just a lot of moving parts, a warehouse and. Lots of places to source from, and I mean, it just it was just a lot to to kind of take in. And you know, I remember sitting down on day one, and just the the owner was helping with transition, and like everything that they were saying was going over my head. I was like, I, I was just like, this is so overwhelming, because um, like and I just you've got a lot of experience, right? Like you're not you're not like an e-commerce newbie. You've been doing this for yeah. decades, yeah. But I mean, I didn't know what part A versus part B versus part C was, and why they used that nomenclature, and they were using different systems, and. You know, who were the names of the employees and what do they do? And it's just like, I mean, there's just a lot of things. And all you're trying to do, like on day one, even though they're they're trying to help you in all these different regards, is like you gotta go get the Amazon account name change, you're trying to get the LLC created, put you know, people on payroll properly, get your insurance moved over, uh, make sure that the lights don't can turn off so the electric bill's in the right name. And like there's like all these basic building blocks you're just trying to like do as if you're being hit by a fire hose. Uh, and by the way, we had you know driven. None of those the things country. are particularly fun, right? No, none they're of, all the awful things. Enjoyable. It was awful, you know. It's like this is the stuff that's not fun at all, um, you know. And so it's just there is like a a, a high, especially if you um, you borrow money, like which most people do, and I encourage people to do to, to buy a business to leverage in some capacity. And so like you know your your payment returns are based on today's revenue, and if things start to fall off because you've now inherited this and actually done a worse job. Uh, it can be it can be pretty intense, and so you know the first three months or so of my life of owning this business were were really really difficult. I'm um, just trying to to get over the learning curve, and then past that, it it became significantly easier. Yeah, I think that's something we we again underestimate is just the learning curve of this brand. And and this was this was a sale, and I got I got to watch this pretty closely. Sale went smoothly. Previous owner, very agreeable, very well-documented system, just like an yep. ideal environment because the previous buyer was so wonderful, or previous owner was so wonderful, the seller. Uh, but still, it's, just, it's, a, it's a big business. There's new stuff to learn. It's just it's overwhelming in the beginning. So even when the yep. conditions are right, that transition period is, is tricky. So that's something to keep in mind. Every day while I was there, you know, I, like I said, we drove across the country being in person to, to do the transition because it was just that complex I was just like, man, like, what if this was the typical seller where you know they just kind of yeah. ghost you after a couple of days and they're just like, I got your money, goodbye. I mean, <laughs> holy crap. Because like, I mean, I felt like a little two-year-old kid. Like, I never had more questions in my life. I was like, why is this here? And why is that there? And why did you do this? And like, how come you didn't do that? And like, I mean, just, I mean, it was just over and over and over again. And um, I mean, I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even find the bathroom the first day in the building. You know, you're just like, you're, <laughs> you're just kind of coming into everything brand new. And it was, it was definitely interesting. And yeah, again, you know, that could be a, a con. I mean, there, there's definitely bad, bad sellers. I mean, I've been through it. The, the ice traps business that we bought, um, the day after the guy got my money, I literally never heard from him again. Like no matter how badly I needed his help for something even super small, it's like you had the money and it was like, see you later. Um, yeah, good, and, good luck, buddy. Good yeah. luck. And, and yep. yeah, it's one of those things where now you're the owner, now you're in charge of the CEO, the president, whatever. And yeah, you don't know your way to the bathroom, right? <laughs> which, is, which is a weird position to be in, right? Especially coming from uh, likely a successful business where you did know everything right. and you built everything and you know everything from top to bottom. Yeah, it's a little bit disorienting and, and stressful. And then we get the pressure of, yeah, I got I to pay back this loan and all those things. That that's something to be aware of, right? You prepare yourself for that transition, and are you ready to handle the pressure of, hey, you're 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 putting your neck out there a little bit, getting this loan and acquiring this business. You got to make it work. Lots of advantages to doing it this way, but pressure and difficulty uh, as well. Any, anything else you you would add there? Pros and cons, either way. Um, I mean, I think at a high level, in terms of buying a business, those are the ones we can maybe talk about starting a business. 
you want to? Yeah, yeah. Let's do let's do that. Yeah. Talk talk about why why would you why would you and when would you start a business over buying one? Yeah, you know, I, I think that if you're looking at buying a business that <clears throat> is is less than two years old, then I think maybe you can make a pretty good argument for for starting one. Uh, you know, the business we buy, I always like to buy businesses that are much more established, that have multiple years of revenue history, and that can really, you know, prove that that my investment's going to be worthwhile here. And so if you're buying something that's just a couple years old, it could be a fad or a fluke, or maybe you're not that far behind and, and starting from scratch is good. A starting from scratch is also good if you have a lot of other commitments. Let's say you are listening, you have a full-time job right now, and you, you just, you know, it isn't feasible to, to, to have a large stock pile of cash and go out and buy something and and just quit your job and go do this new thing. Uh, you it, may need to grow as the business grows, right? So, yeah. so starting it may be better fit for you. Absolutely, and that's what we did with with treadmill.com. You know, we yeah we owned the domain name, but like we got into e-commerce with that site, which was a drop shipping site, which is you know probably easier than having your own inventory, developing your own products. But in that process, we learned how to we actually use big commerce to build that store at the time. Um, but like learn how to get into big commerce and learn how to get a payment processor, learn how to do like basic support and uh, you know just take transactions online on the internet. Like all that was completely foreign to us at the time. And you know I, I think back to like what I rather have bought a business or started when I'm in that juncture. I think that that starting something was way better to you know because you're you're just things are happening in real time as you as you grow. You're learning one more thing. You're learning one more thing and. Uh, I think at some point, then when your skill set is is good enough, when you put your ten thousand hours in, uh, the whole like Mac and Gladwell uh, outliers effect, then I think it makes sense to start shifting the mindset of wait a second, I I already have all the skills, uh, and one of the things that I've really come to realize is that no matter how big of a business you're running, you're still going to spend the same amount of time uh, in what you're whatever you're doing. If I bought Something for for thirty thousand dollars, and it was like just me, like taking it over and working on it. Um, you know, I would probably still be spending 60, 70 hours a week on it because it's something new, and you're trying to learn it all. Versus buying something for five million dollars that has a team uh, and all these things in place. The same thing. I'm still spending the same amount of time, and, and time's like your most valuable commodity. So being able to leverage that as much as you can and and not lose sleep, I think, is another really good thing in terms of you know buying a business. But if you aren't there yet, I would encourage you to. To start a little bit slower and learn the ropes and 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 do one from scratch. Yeah, I love that. So really, kind of the, the those two criteria are if if you can't find a business that's ready to sell, right, one that's established and has that proven track record, ideally longer than two years, or if you're not ready to buy a business, right, which is okay if you're not. You know, you you need to to grow. And yeah, if you don't have those ten thousand hours in, if you don't if you don't have mastery of of certain things. Relate to ecom, then maybe it makes sense to build and, and grow with with the process, grow into it, so to speak. So, really great perspective, Mike. Appreciate that. So, this next question, I think, uh, as as you answer it, this is going to be helpful for two groups of people. One, someone who's looking to buy a business, because I, I know you know uh, I've got tons of friends. I know you do too in the in the ecom space, and they're looking to buy, invest, sell, or all three. Right? We're kind of mm-hmm. in the all three category, uh, or the first two anyway. Um, and, and so. What what is it that buyers are looking for when they're seeking a brand? Because I think this will help if you're both trying to sell or if you're looking to buy yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm when I'm looking for for something, I'm looking for some sort of defensibility. You know, I don't really want uh, something that anybody else could quickly copy. You know, so intellectual property of some sort. Um, there's some something that the barrier to entry is 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 quite tough for someone else to replicate. Um, the, the business that we bought, the it, it wasn't as defensible as I would like, but there were some other circumstances that kind of led us down the path of, of buying it. But the defensibility thing it did have is, it's it, it'd be really difficult from someone from scratch finding these products in Jungle Scout to just go out and and buy them because of the MOQs. You know, the MOQs were incredibly high, and so this. You had a pretty big moat. Minimum order quantities for those that don't know. That know most people. Sorry about that. Yeah, minimum order quantities. Like you know, the minimum order quantity of this stuff is like uh, actually done by weight and not even by pieces because it's like just you're buying so many of them. (laughs) We're talking about like hundreds of thousands of of pieces of of each skew at a time, and and having to fill an entire container or something that's like the size of a dime. uh, You know, it just it you're talking about a lot of a lot of pieces, and so. And that has a facility that already was in place to help uh, package that stuff and and do these things. And so 
while it's a, a great opportunity for for a business, the average person that's like looking at Helium 10 or Jungle Scout and doing research would would just get down the path and find out, oh, well, while this is a great opportunity, there's no way I can afford to to get into it with the MOQs. And the risk is just too high and it's also competitive. And so it, it would turn a lot of people off. Uh, another great business I would look at is one that we sold, which is Color It, which is, you know, I would be attracted to as a buyer because of all the intellectual property. You know, the, some artist hand drew every drawing and every coloring book. Uh, copyright from that perspective is is actually quite strong in the United States. It's actually one of the few areas of, of law that is pretty solid where you can shut someone down pretty easily for copying. Uh, all the other stuff becomes more difficult. Um, that, you know, if you have a patent you're trying to push back on or other things, it's just, it gets expensive and hard to defend where copyright stuff is really easy to defend. And so I think the, the buyers uh, you know, picked a particularly good niche because it, it had all this intellectual property, had a big email list and a big pixel audience and high lifetime value of a customer and uh, repeatable processes that make more books and uh, more supplies. And so, uh, and lots of other people have tried to copy that brand and just fell flat on their face because we had some pretty pretty good secret sauce components there that that made it hard for other people to copy. Uh, and so I think yeah. that's the type of thing to be looking for versus just, you know, there's some random widget like an iPhone case or something that isn't, uh, it just happens to be a thing on my desk right now, but, uh, or pens, you know, just like a, someone, just some random pen, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to, to buy a business that doesn't have any defensibility where anybody else can just go grab those products and sell them. Right, and I, and I love that the first example that you talked about. While there's not really a lot of IP there necessarily, it's the the processes are well built out, and it's still a high barrier to entry. It's yep. not that someone couldn't enter it, but it'd be difficult, right? And this business had beautiful systems. You know, the products have tons of reviews. Like the, just the head start there was so large yes. that that as long as we could continue to pour fuel on the fire. I say we, really you. Uh, and then uh, you know, success was was very very likely. And then in the terms of color, it, yeah, you had IP and it was defensible IP, and you had a playbook and you had all these things going for it. So so I like that defensibility because defensibility uh, creates predictability, right? And it means like, hey, this is lower risk, right? If I'm looking to invest my dollars plus. Uh, plus, also, you know, take a loan out to buy this business. Then I need to to limit risk, and defensibility limits risk. Exactly. What, what else do you look for when you're when you're buying? Well, then then it's the the contentions part, right? Of uh, are you trying to pull the wool over my eyes? And that's mm. really important because, unfortunately, that's exactly what a lot of people try to do. Um, and so you know, it, it's it's on you. To, to figure that out. I would not just expect that every person out there is honest, uh, unfortunately. Again, been through this uh, more than once. And so depending on the size of the deal, uh, you want to hire some sort of due diligence company. Uh, I, I've done deals where they were small enough where I did that myself. Uh, you know, you don't need to go crazy here. You don't need to overspend and um, you know, turn over rocks that just don't need overturning. You know, if it's a, a relatively simple Amazon business, you know, just get the log into the Amazon account and look at the reports and make sure they tie out. Look at their tax return, make sure that ties out. Uh, make sure that the advertising spend that they're reporting back to you ties out. Uh, look at invoices from from vendors, make sure that that, that makes sense. Uh, there's not a lot of other things that you can really do on a smaller Amazon business to kind of pull the wool over someone's eyes. It's you know, maybe there's other black hat things you want to be looking for, making sure that you know their review profile and other things make sense as well. Because um, you don't want to take over the account and two months later get shut down because <laughs> the old owner was doing something black hat. So those are things I would look at. Uh, same thing goes when you're buying a content site. You want to look at their backlink profile and make sure that there isn't any trickery going on there. Um, you make sure you fully understand when you're buying a content site, do they have uh, a network of other sites that are you know, one of the reasons this thing's successful because they link from a bunch of other places and is there a chance that they're going to remove those links which could hurt you. So those are, those are some things you want to be looking at as the deal gets bigger, uh, you know, then it look, then you want to look to hire a professional due diligence company. Uh, it's actually funny the people that did the due diligence on us for color it are, are friends of ours, and um, you know they're they're just good at what they you, do. You selected them, or the, it's, it's not like uh, the buyer probably selected the buyer them, selected right? them, but we, yeah. we knew of them. They were actually friends of Andrew, uh, a mutual friend of ours, and um, yeah, I mean they did a great job. You know, it was it was interesting like having someone that you know. 
um, you know, kind of <laughs> look into your soul. But uh, in the end, I mean, they did a really good job. They actually found things that uh, that we didn't even realize that we were doing wrong, um, which is embarrassing. Uh, but you know, the the buyer makes the decision at that point: is this worth the risk? Do I want to retrade on the multiple or the valuation? Or uh, you know, was this person doing this on purpose? It was clearly something we were doing by accident. Our bookkeeper was just making a really stupid mistake when it came to currency conversion uh, from UK and Canada that I just never picked up on. Uh, the thing that was interesting was it kind of balanced out because like the UK dollar is like so much stronger than the US dollar and the Canadian dollar is weaker than the US dollar. And so over time, it was like actually not like having causing this huge disparity. So that's why I didn't really notice it because uh, it kind of did balance out. And so luckily, it didn't really uh, cost us a, an arm and a leg. Uh, it actually didn't cost us anything because our business was growing as we were going into sale, which is also important. If you got a business that's falling as you're going into sale, that can be a lot more contentious. Yeah, that can almost be the kiss of death, mm -hmm. right? If your business is declining as you enter the sale process, yeah. I mean, most buyers are just out at that point. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's like they are starting to wonder, why are you selling? Do you know something they don't know? And again, that's always a part of it. And so like you got a business that has a rocket ship trajectory over a long period of time, it makes it a lot easier to sell. You know, it's like, okay, even if they're pulling something over our eyes, we'll make it up in the growth. You know, and so it just, it gives you uh, a little bit more confidence as a buyer. And so all those things are are important. But yeah, I mean, due diligence is super important, just as much as if, uh, if anyone listening is uh, importing from China right now, I mean, doing an inspection on every order before you take delivery is also like, similar concept. And so why would you ever place an order in China and not do an inspection on it? Why would you ever buy a business and not do due diligence? Right. Um, yeah. If you're, yeah, if you're going to inspect one order of, uh, or one run of a product, how could you not inspect a biz an entire business exactly. and buy that? Yeah, really important. And I think you can take it too far. I mean, the people that are yeah. uh, trying to buy us right now, I think are in the taking it too far camp where it's just like, holy crap, man, like uh, you're... Looking at things that you don't even necessarily need to look at. So, right at the end of the day, do you want to buy the business or not? And and you do need to understand: is the person trying to pull the wool over my eyes or not? If there's a little bit of yes, is the asset still worth it? Do you feel like you can still make a go of it? And and then yeah, what are the critical factors? And and yeah, this is one of those things where you're like, you know, if I answer this question, is that even going to change anything? About <laughs> right. This like, why, why are we digging into this detail? Right. It's not going to change the multiple. Guessing it's not going to change your decision to buy or sell or to buy it. Um, why are we doing this? So, so yeah, you, you definitely want to do enough due diligence. But at the end of the day, you, you could prolong it forever. And and uh, yeah, what what are the critical pieces you need to look at and go from there? And I think you you nailed it where you talked about size and complexity of the deal that really determines how much due diligence and whether you go that alone or, or likely you're going to want to bring in a a third party or, or even just someone who's done this before that you can pay for a few hours, you know, if it's kind of a smaller deal, but a little bigger than, than you'd be comfortable doing diligence on your own. You know, there, there are people that have done this before that you can pay, you know, four or five, six hours worth of their time to, to look at as well. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what, what else are you looking for in a brand that you buy and or what do you, what do you know that other buyers are looking for? When we're talking about buying things, like the other thing that I always think about is that you're you're buying time. I don't think I quite mentioned this in the beginning, but um, you know, any successful business or most successful businesses take that first couple of years to just kind of lay the groundwork, and the hockey stick growth comes on the tail end of that. Right? It just it starts to feel so easy all of a sudden, uh, and we often, again, as entrepreneurs, forget about that when you're starting your own business and. You, know, you kind of forget about those hard early days and think more about the the more recent thing. And so that's another thing that I I love to evaluate to be looking at a business that is let's say five years old. Um, you know, you're even if you could have maybe done it more optimally and done it in four years or three years, you're still buying all that time. Right? You're you're compressing your 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 ability to 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 do good things with your time. And so that that's one of the other things that I look at as I'm evaluating a business uh, is a Leveraging my time or my buying time in a in a more efficient way versus other businesses, and, and that's kind of like some idiosyncrasies as you're looking at what were they doing. Like, I mean, is the business, let's say, uh, organic search dependent, right? Where like most of their traffic is coming from organic search. Again, you're buying now, you're buying defensibility, but also that's like the ultimate time saver because no one can really rush 
ranking up a site from scratch with organic search. It takes takes a lot of time. And if you build the business around that, it builds a really good moat. And so, you know, just again, looking at more about time resources, how quickly can I make my money back? Uh, am I buying a moat of IP or other things or just kind of the, the general things I'm looking at? Um, and, and then all the other things that I look at in terms of e-commerce is still applicable. You know, I'd like buying or looking at brands that have repeat business, that have a passionate audience, that has, if you're lucky, has consumability to it, that you can write really good content around. Maybe there's like a, a mini course or something you can do. People that would be willing and eager to uh, share user-generated content because it's something, again, they're passionate about. Is there a, a large pool of influencers in the niche? Uh, or is it just like a boring product that no one wants to talk about and it's hard to, to do marketing for where you just constantly feel like you're, You've got a, a rain cloud over you that follows you around like Charlie Brown. <laughs> so those are all <laughs> things I still look at, you know, whether I'm starting something or buying. Yeah, yeah. Am I am I buying time at a discount? Am I able to to make the the best use of my time, highest and best? Is this is this opportunity worthy of the skill set that I, I bring to the table? And then, yeah, specifically, what can I what can I leverage? And can I leverage the things that that I'm best at? So really awesome. I want to dig into a few other things. I want to talk about. Uh, some some surprises and some tips in the due diligence process, but but first, any thoughts on the the LOI process, the letter of intent process? That's kind of the first step, right? It's mm-hmm. the first step if a, a buyer's getting serious um, with a seller. Any any thoughts or tips around or things to expect with the LOI process? I would say the LOI process is almost always indicative of like how the rest of the transaction is going to go. Yeah. So when you find someone that just like needling the living crap out of you and making life difficult at the LOI stage, it's probably going to be It's persistent. probably just going to get worse. It's going right? to get worse. <laughs> yeah. um, it might be a good time to just go try to find another buyer. I know it's tough, especially when you're like, you're basically at the altar, you know, you're very close to yeah. getting the deal done, uh, but you, you might be better off trying to find somebody else. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the couple that's like, I know we fight a lot as we're dating, but when we get married, it's going to get better. Right, right. Like, right. Probably, probably not. not. It's going to get worse. Yeah. And so what I'm looking for is a buyer that is already in the middle of the road. You know, when you have a, a it, whatever side of the transaction, seller or buyer, you can be on either side, doesn't really matter. You're negotiating an LOI from one point or the other. Yep. And, and when the other party, let's just call them the other party in this case, when the other party is already like in the middle of the road with you, um, rather than like way off in left field or way off in right field, uh, that's that's a good buyer or seller, right? And, and I've been in these situations where like you know, they they want to start all the way over in left field, hoping that you you'll miss some of the weeds on on the way to the to the middle of the road, uh, or, or just get exhausted because there's so many things that you're trying to negotiate just to get just to get to what I would call the middle of the road. What what do most transactions look like? You know, across millions of transactions, what are lawyers from both sides trying to get to in terms of middle of the road and being fair to everybody because that's where I like to be, right? I always like yeah, to- Are, are they you know, starting there? Or are they starting way off in left field? Way just, off in left field. trying to take advantage of you. And again, yeah. the way they start the process is likely the way they're going to finish the process. 100%. And so so that LOI uh, is very indicative of what's coming next. I mean, yeah. we were discussing this with a friend of mine who was just looking at an LOI that was just like, so egregious. You know, you know what the rest of the process is going to be like when when it looks like this. When it just if if you asked your lawyer like make this as uh, good for me and as bad for the other party as possible and hope that they don't catch it. Like let's write that document. That's basically what they had written, and in hopes that you would not be sophisticated enough to like, or your lawyer would not be sophisticated enough to find it all. And typically, when you're working in a party with a party in, in good faith. Uh, you know, one of the things you have to kind of think about is like this is the battle that I want to fight. You know, you don't. You, there's a lot of things in the document. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I don't really. I would love to redline this or redline that, but let's pick the three or five things that I really want to go to bat over. And again, when the contract's starting so far off in uh, left yeah. field, where like they're asking for like a 10 year non compete in like all of e commerce or you know something <laughs> just ridiculously stupid, uh, asking you to uh, give them all your assets but also pay all your liabilities or something. You know, stupid like that, uh, not pay you for inventory or um, ask you to stay on for 17 years or have, uh, you know, whatever. Like it could just be completely ridiculous versus the people who bought color. And I talk about this pretty publicly all the time. You know, the the LOI that they put in front of us and eventually the asset purchase agreement was 
written in a way to like get the deal done, right? It's like, this is the fair thing. We've already negotiated other deals in the past. This is what other lawyers and other parties have asked to kind of get. And so when I, I had my attorney review that uh, LOI and asset purchase agreement, uh, you know, it was like small grammatical things that they were like looking at, not major deal points. And, and that's the type of buyer or seller that I want to be working with because uh, that's how I am. You know, and it just, it makes the transaction so much easier. It's kind of a breath of fresh air these days to find somebody that that thinks that way versus, again, some of these, you know, crazy things. And, and there's just been a lot of dirty tac- tactics that have been documented, especially in the aggregator space where, you know, they, they try to retrade in some way at the very last second when your back's really up against the wall. Um, and it's just, it's just really unfortunate. It, it is, and, and it's one of those things we we kind of outlined this before. Even when everything is right, even when the buyer seller is good in good faith and they're they're a great person and everything is looking good, it's still difficult, right? So, so why go any further with a buyer seller when you look at at the documents early on? And you're like, this is going to be a fight. This we're we're going to fight over every little detail. Uh, yeah. Then why even go further? Yeah. We're we're in a position right now as we record this. I I feel the tide turning. But we're in a position right now where it's really a seller's market. So if you're on the sell side, yes. you probably have more than one option. And you know the the offer that comes in with the biggest price tag is not always the best option. You got to be asking other questions to to discern that. Now, if we go into a period moving forward, which I it does feel like we're heading towards where it does. Yeah, know, it feels it, like we're maybe we've passed the peak. Yeah. Of- <laughs> The highest multiples, and we're on the the way down. So, depending on when you listen to this, yeah, that's likely to be true. Yeah, I mean, I not the thing I'm rooting for. It just kind of feels that way. Right. You know, it, it, we're at the tail end. It feels like of the largest, longest bull market in history, like by far. Like we've beat this now by many, many years. Um, and so, just you know, as a statistics person, it's like how many times is the roulette wheel going to fall on black before it finally hits red? And, and it feels right. like we're pushing our luck a little bit here. Um, and and I realize every spin in that scenario is still it's the same chance each time. Yes, but exactly. you know it just we're it does feel like uh, we're kind of at that point. And so, but right now, you know, it there's lots of options. If you're at a point, you know, this is just how life is. If, if we're at a point where there is only one buyer and it's a really crappy seller's market, and and you want to sell for whatever reason, well, then maybe you got to kind of deal with some of these things. You kind of always got to think about things in, in life in terms of timing and those things. But but right now. Yeah, I mean, just I think it's better to go find another buyer or wait than uh, than to go through it with a bad a bad. Totally purchaser. agree. Yeah, wait or find another buyer. Uh, don't don't go through something that you just feel and can see is going to be very contentious uh, from the get go. So let's talk about the due diligence process. And and like we've established, like you've been doing this for a long time. You bought and sold businesses in the past, but you're yep. in the middle of due diligence right now. <laughs> we are the hardest uh, one any, I've ever anything, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like any any surprises in due diligence or any anything, I know you can't talk about specifics, but anything you would mention to people that are maybe about to go through due diligence for the first time? Like what do you wish you knew ahead of time getting into this? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think every due diligence, like literally every single due diligence process kind of has some surprise along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's, a, a, a lot of times actually, it's a surprise for the other party as well. They weren't necessarily trying to, be mischievous. It's just it, when you're running a business with this many moving parts, it's like hard to ever have a perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's like the exchange rate thing you had with Color It, right? Hundred percent. It's a great example. Find that you didn't expect it was going on. Your accountant didn't expect it. They didn't even know they were, you know they yeah. were making a mistake. So it was it so happened. funny because uh, I remember I, I can barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday. My memory is getting bad, but like I remember this conversation because <laughs> it was just so embarrassing. The guy calls me up. Introduce himself like I'm so and so with the due diligence company. I was like, everything's already already in the drive, organized for you. Like I have all my ducks in a row, ready to go through the due diligence process. This is going to probably be the easiest due diligence process you've ever gone through. Uh, everything is is very organized and 100 percent accurate. And uh, you know, I know the buyer has to go through these steps, but um, there's there's nothing to find here. And then they like proceeded to find. It was actually three things. Um, that were all pretty material, and I was just like, "This is so embarrassing," because <laughs> uh, yeah, this is exactly what somebody that's like trying to scam you would say, right? And I was just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that." Uh, we, but we've been through like five different bookkeeping companies and try to do it ourselves and use different software and stuff. And until you're at a point where you can like afford NetSuite, e-commerce accounting is just is really hard. And there's definitely a part of like you lick your finger and stick it up in the air. 
uh, and, and get it as close as you can. It's just never completely accurate. And so, you know, there'll be things like that that they'll find. These guys are way better at this than than you are at, at sniffing this stuff out. Um, and and this is why it's so important to have a third party company like helping yeah. you, because these are the moments in life. Like even though I've been through this multiple times, I still have questions. You know, sure. of what would you do, kind of thing, right? What are you seeing in the marketplace overall in this exact scenario? Like, should we? Just accept this as a risk, uh, right. or um, you know, maybe the deal is slightly different now in terms of our back of the napkin math of how it pencils out by by a little bit. But I don't feel comfortable pushing back on the other party for a price adjustment, or this is so out of line that clearly I should be asking for a price adjustment here. Yep. Uh, or yep. is it just like you need the run? Like this is even though you're emotionally invested in this thing right now. Which is really tough because, like, you might have spent six months getting to this point, or maybe a year of like looking right. at different businesses and putting in, you know, getting getting packages and interviewing people, and finally finding the thing that you, you know, it's kind of like dating. We we're talking about this earlier. Like, you know, now you're at the altar. Like, do you run away at the last yeah. second? And and the answer is yes. I mean, that's the hardest thing. It, to it do. almost feels like you can't, right? You're at the altar. You feel right. like hey, everybody's here. You know, yep. uh, in this analogy, like everybody's counting on this. Can I really run? I can't run. Everybody's but already bought you, you gifts, and you should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can and should get, yeah. turn the gifts back. You know, give the gifts back to everybody or whatever. And <laughs> yeah. and because like yeah. here's the thing that that I've also learned the hard way. You know, once you sign the dotted line, it, it's done, right? You can't go back. You can regret it all you want, but it's over. Like your money's gone, your time is gone. Like you're now having to deal with this messed up asset, uh, if you want to even call it an asset, depends on like how bad of a situation it is. Um, and you'll realize the hard way that you would have been better off just throwing away all the time and effort you had to that point and, and moving on to to the right thing. Um, yeah, rather than and I think this really underscores the, the 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 need to have the right team around you, mm -hmm. and and you, you you even kind of alluded to this, right? You've done this now multiple times. You've been in business for several decades, but you may be bringing on a due diligence company, or working with an investment banker, or working with someone who they've done hundreds of deals, or that's all they do is deals. They're doing multiple deals a month. Where when you run into something, you can say, "Hey, what would you do? Like, what, what, how would you look? What am I missing here? What am I not considering as yep. we look at this this deal?" And and even in a situation where it's a good faith buyer and a good faith seller, going to be surprises, right? So so having that right team around you is really important. Absolutely, and I, I look at the the broker and the due diligence company uh, just as much as a bartender or a therapist as you know all the other <laughs> things that I've hired them for. Right, because it's it is a very emotional process again on both sides. Uh, I think on the sell side more so, just because you know, yeah. at least in my experience, baby. when I've been looking to sell, it is it's your baby. That's definitely a big part of it. There's also, at least for me, like been some sort of burnout factor that a company's wanting, and I'm just like I'm just done. You know, like I'm mentally just like ready to be done with whatever it is, and that's one of the reasons I'm looking to sell. Uh, not that it's a bad business or anything like that. Just. I, I tend to run fast and towards the sun, and eventually uh, you kind of get a little charred and, and need to recharge yourself. And um, yeah, when you're like right at that last second, and the other party is like trying to pull some sorcery on you, it's like you're at the weakest possible moment. And <laughs> yeah, it's demoralizing. It yeah, is. Yeah, sure. yeah. I've heard stories of friends who have recently sold all of their business or sold most of the equity, who who have gotten to a place where they're like, I think I just want to quit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's quit the whole thing. I don't. I don't care anymore because they're they're so emotionally taxed and emotionally drained. So, um, yeah. Other just other tips uh, or suggestions. Let's talk about it from the the seller side for just a minute. Tips, suggestions, thing to con things to consider if you're a seller right now. Yeah. So I, mean, I think number one, you should always have your business arranged in a way that uh, you might want to sell it tomorrow. You just, yeah. in my experience. You just it's never a better know. business when you do that. Anyway. And it's a better. That's exactly exactly the point. It's a better business when you do it this way. If you're organized in a way that you have financials prepared, like all the documents are already in a Google Drive and organized, et cetera, et cetera, you have a better business. A lot of people put accounting off and all these other processes until way too late, and so what they end up realizing is that they don't have a business that's worth anything at all because. You know their profit margins are what they thought they were, or just a lot of other things are, are out of line. And so, if you are running your business month in and month out, always preparing to sell, even something that's brand new that you just started a couple of months ago, 
you're going to be in a way better spot. You're going to, your business is going to be better. You'll thank yourself for it. Um, another thing that's important when you go to sell uh, is just complete transparency. Like each time you get caught fibbing or lying about something, it will wreck the confidence of the buyer. And depending on how big of a you know thing this is, it might be something super small or you know innocuous or whatever. But like if if you get caught in some lie, uh, it will really hurt the credibility of, of the deal. And so don't do that. I mean, I, I don't. I can't believe I just say this out loud. Anyway, I mean, if you're a good human being, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Go without saying. But <laughs> you maybe should go without like, saying. Yeah, but maybe in maybe what what some people may tem- be tempted to do is like. Oh, well, I don't really need to mention that. Yeah. Right? So it's like an out and out lie. I think most people, hopefully, that are listening would be like, no, I wouldn't do that. But I think probably what you're saying is, hey, even if there's something they're not asking about now, it's going to come out in due diligence. So bring it up yeah. now, right? And and talk about it now. I mean, a good example, um, you know, we when we sold our last business, there was a, a like a pending lawsuit. We we had sued somebody for something, and and then it was or then it was wrapped up or whatever. Um, and so we we made sure we disclosed that right that we had these are things that like maybe they some good due diligence company would find you know, as they're doing like a background search on a company, and so explaining it uh, why that happened and how that might have affected the business one way or the other up front is a lot better than going oh well you know I, I didn't I didn't know you needed to know about that or whatever you say when you when they come approach you later. Um, it just it looks really bad because then it's just like, well, what else are they are they trying to hide? And what so, else are they hiding know, from me? That, yeah. That's the immediate question, exactly. And you have to, exactly. you know, again, in the vein of always treating others like you like to be treated. I always like to think about like if someone was, if I was writing a million dollar check to somebody, yeah, like how would I feel, right? And because uh, it's just as uneasy for them, you know, they're taking like it's a great great day for you, like you're looking to sell your business and you're going to go pop the champagne and run into all this life changing amount of money and woohoo. Well, the other person is taking an equal bet, making a life-changing they're amount of money. They're on the bet, hook for that life-changing amount of money. Mm-hmm. And they're taking risks just like you have in life as an entrepreneur. And so just being transparent about that stuff uh, is always the best policy, in my opinion. Um, and, and in actuality, I've found that by being ultra-transparent, it actually helps you get more for your business, yeah. helps the deal close quicker. Uh, you know, It just actually makes things better, not worse. Um, and if you're... Unless you're trying to do something really squirrely, then you know, shame on you. Right, exactly. And, and I think sometimes you, you you're super transparent. You bring up stuff that maybe they'll care about, maybe they won't. But you're just you're, you're bringing up all the dirty laundry, so to speak. Then that gives the buyer confidence, and they may say, "Oh yeah, it's not a big deal. I don't, I don't care about that." But thank you. Like it gives them confidence that you're being so transparent. Yep. Uh, yeah. The last thing I'll mention is that you know the the deal should not be done in your mind the day that the wire transfer hits the bank. Uh, again, in the vein of Treating others like you like to be treated. Be prepared for for weeks or months of a transition, and go out of your way to help them. Um, again, just try to remember if you've ever bought a business, or if you were, you know, if you put yourself in that mindset of I just spent a ton of money. And again, if it's the, the bigger the transaction, the more complicated it is. And there's going to be like little things that the buyer is going to need help with, days or weeks or even months, and sometimes years after the fact. I mean, the people that bought. Color from us every now and then will still email me about something. I mean, obviously, it's it's few and far between. They were amazing buyers, by the way. They asked the least of just about anybody that I've ever done something with. But you know, you know, just make sure that you go out of your way to make sure that like every login's turned over. They have all the passwords. That like you explain all the vendor relationships. That you send emails transitioning relationships properly. That you're there to answer questions that they might have. Because again, they're coming into it all brand new, and they're going to be feeling like they are being hit by the fire hose and just trying to keep the wheels on the bus uh, to begin with. They don't know again your part number naming conventions or why this product was discontinued or why you sent this particular email out or ran this ad or whatever it might be, and so they might have questions about that a couple of weeks down the road when they finally get their head on you know and their feet underneath them. Uh, and you should just try to be there for them uh, for for those things and not. Be looking to just run away because it's just not not fair. Yeah, be be prepared on both sides for that transition period, right? And yep. and this this process of buying, selling businesses, building them, doing tuck-ins, roll-ins, exiting, it, it's the way wealth is created, right? And these are big opportunities, and it's a lot of fun. 
but it's also, these are big deals and, and, and it's difficult and you need to be prepared for the difficulties and the surprises that, that are there. And so, yeah, I think that just understanding, this has been super, super helpful, Mike, thank you. Like understanding the good, the bad, and the ugly about, about due diligence and about the transition, about even the LOI process, like this was all super, super valuable. So uh, we're, we're kind of up against it. This, this <laughs> hour flew by, it's been uh, a ton of fun, Mike. But as people listen and they're like, hey, I wanna, I wanna hang out with this guy a little bit more, uh, obviously check out the Ecom Crew podcast wherever you like to, to consume podcasts. But how else can people connect with you? Are you active on the socials? Is there other ways that people can can follow you? Yeah, we're we're getting actually a little bit more active on social. I, I've always been kind of like an anti-social media guy because I just yeah. I, I feel like it's done more harm to the world than good. Um, but yeah. we we have been for ecom crew stuff more more on social media. We're so it's e c o m c r e w dot com ecom crew on Twitter, YouTube, all the socials on podcast. Uh, everywhere, everywhere you uh, can find anything about technology or whatever, we're, we're there and uh, ecom crew everywhere. Uh, if you want to email, it's support at ecomcrew.com. That'll get to me eventually uh, if you're looking to, to chat with me about something. But but yeah, hopefully you'll you'll check it out and appreciate the plug, man. Awesome, Mike Jackness, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mike has been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to chatting again. That was like an Ezra Firestone. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was actually, yeah, I think that's where I got that. That was like <laughs> Jack is in the house. Mike <laughs> Jack is in the house. That's awesome. Thanks, so, Brent. Mike Jack is, yeah, thanks, buddy. And, and as always, thank you for tuning in. We'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already done that. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.